The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Pain is an interesting thing. And one of the things when we talk about kingdom and the kingdom of Christ, and we're looking at, okay, how does it move? It's one of the things we've really been trying to think about. And it moves in the midst of pain. So when you're dealing with pain... It's a good thing because the kingdom will move in that. Oftentimes when we're going through emotional pain or, or physical pain, um, then we, we depend on the Lord much more. And we're going through some kind of experience, some kind of crisis, some kind of difficulty. We can find that we can get movement uh, in the kingdom. And so a lot of times I would even say that it takes pain to get the kingdom to move in our lives. And so I think even in spiritually, um, we can have spiritual pain, and that's a good thing. The kingdom will start moving for us. So as we think about this, we think about, okay, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? Well, I think it means that we understand some pain. We understand some spiritual pain. And I'm going to demonstrate that um, this morning as I, as I take us through um, the remainder of, or the the, the story continued, Acts chapter 3. So this, this whole story around this crippled person who certainly was dealing with some pain, some emotional pain. We don't know. I'm sure he probably had some physical pain as well. Uh, but we see in that that uh, there's movement that happens in the kingdom. It not only happens in this guy's life, it happens in Peter's life, it happens in John's life, it happens into. Uh, a couple of th- more thousand people become part of the kingdom. And it's all starting with this guy's pain, and, and then Peter sees it as a teachable moment. Here's the problem. We're too soft. Like the, like the church is too soft. Even when it comes to ministering as citizens within the kingdom, one of the things that as citizens of the kingdom, we serve Christ. Okay? And so there is territory to, to conquer. And that territory, the only thing, the only kind of territory that Christ wants to conquer is the territory of the heart. And so he uses us to see that the kingdom is advanced in other people's lives. And that's territory that is conquered for the king as we as his servants take the good news of the gospel and share it with others. Then there's territory when they respond, and we'll see Peter does that. And again, it'll take us a couple weeks to get through this whole experience of this crippled guy and all the fruit that came from that. But but there there are people who come into the kingdom as a result of it. And so um, when I say we become too soft, what what do I mean by that? We try to protect the sinner. Like we we will protect the sinner from his own sin. And, And so you'll see here in a moment... When we get into this, so just with that as the backdrop, and remember, there's this crippled guy. He's been crippled for 40 years. And all of a sudden, he's begging at the temple gate, and Peter and John are walking up, and he asks some money for them, and silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give to you. What does he give him? Jesus. He says, rise and walk. And the power of the Lord was upon them, and it was present in the apostles' life that this man was miraculously healed, Everybody knew this guy. So this is a guy that every time you went to the temple, this guy was there begging for a living. So everybody knew, like for 40 years, okay, 
So all of his adult life, he's been begging. Probably his parents, when he was a kid, set him out there. And that's just what you did. You tried to figure out a way to um, get some resources in order to take care of yourself. And so these people, like the community knew him. And so all of a sudden, man, the guy is healed. He's leaping. He's praising God. They're in the temple area. And all of these people come rushing in, it says, to Solomon's colonnade. And so... Like Peter's looking around, he wasn't expecting this to happen. All of a sudden, he has this captive audience. And they're all talking, and you could just kind of see in the crowd, man, everybody's like, what? What happened? It'd be kind of like if we dismissed church, and you guys were out there in the parking lot, and I'm in the back like I usually am, saying, man, have a good week. Some of you are drifting off, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a big wreck. Then all of us would be out in the parking lot. What happened, man? What happened? Then, you know, we would be trying to figure out there would be an event. And so we would all be captivated by what was going on. That's what happened in the, in the, in the outer court of the temple. And so all of a sudden, all of these people rush to Peter. And they're amazed, man. This guy, like they look at him. But we'll call this guy, I don't know what to call him, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, man, Johnny just got healed. What is going on? These dudes did it right here. Men are all talking like, what, and Johnny's running around and says he's leaping and praising God, man, because he's never been able to walk. And so as he's doing this, Peter's looking around, and we pick up in verse 11, and it says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. I want you to watch how many times they say Jesus and they, they elevate Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, he says, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through, the holy, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and in the covenant of God, the covenant God made with your fathers, he said to Abraham... Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. <laughs> so Peter's like, man, he doesn't hold back at all. And so what I, what I see from that as we make some observations about the text 
I mean, it is tough what he says. And here, here's what I, I take away first of all. The kingdom moves among the convicted. Okay? That's why, man, you can find a church where you're never going to feel convicted. And the kingdom is not going to move like it does in the New Testament. Because the kingdom moves among the convicted. And, and I might add that everybody is not on the same path. Everybody, everybody who says that they believe in God does not actually know God, the true God. And that's why I think that intentionally, I, I would challenge you as a body of believers, try to intentionally quit saying God and start saying Jesus. Because everybody says God. But notice how many times Peter said Jesus. And, and I try to intentionally do that. Now I still say God. I'm going to say it in this sermon, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm, I'm saying that it's good for us to intentionally start thinking about Jesus instead of God because most people believe in God and they're confused about the God that they believe in. All of these people that Peter was talking to believed in God and he was wanting to identify that Jesus, in fact, was God. And that's what we believe as Christians. And so, so um, here we say that the kingdom moves among the convicted. Now, there's two things I want you to take away from this. Some of you may have a desire to share the good news. You should have a desire to share the good news of the gospel. You're a servant of the king. And so part of your job and responsibility as a servant of the king is to be willing to share the good news in your life. Could you guys uh, bring that thermostat down about three degrees? Amen? Amen, Kevin. <laughs> and so, and so like you, all of us as servants of, of the king need to be like excited to share the good news. Okay. And then you may be here and you may still be trying to comprehend the good news. Have you received the good news? And so the sermon is bad news, good news. And I'm going to show you how important something is before you can really get a hold of the good news. And so for those of you who already have received the good news and you, you want to share the good news, there's a way for it to be done, and we see it with Peter. But we have to understand that the kingdom moves among the convicted. So I said we're too soft. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that when a person starts to feel convicted and we're sharing the good news and we're, we're sharing with them and, and God's doing a work, Oftentimes, we want to rescue them in their pain instead of letting them sit there in it. That's not our job. The truth is the truth, and it cuts like a knife, and sometimes it is painful to receive the truth. And so we can't often just, like, rescue people. They need to sit in their conviction and let it weigh on their hearts. You will be tempted to rescue them. And I do believe that that is spiritual warfare going on as you, you circumvent what God is, what Jesus is trying to do in their lives. Okay? So you want to be careful that you don't do that. What you do want to do is connect with them, but not rescue them in the midst of their conviction. You want to give them hope and you want to connect with them and relate to them. Let them know that you too have been convicted. And we see that Peter, he, there's connection before conviction. What does he say? Men of Israel. Okay, what is he doing? I'm part of Israel, is what he's saying. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just like you. I'm one of you. And, and so he's looking for a way to connect with people. And so connection comes before conviction. And he asks them, Two thought-provoking questions. And I think this is very important when we're trying to share and, and let the kingdom do its work as we're trying to um, claim territory for the king. He says, 
Why does this surprise you? Now, now, why is that an important question for Peter to ask? We must be reminded that it has only been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. Like 50 days. So that's what we're saying. What, what would that be? Like April, right? If we, and today, like if, if Jesus, if we, was, if we were trying to look at a time span, Jesus would have been crucified. We're in June. Jesus would have been crucified in April, okay? And so he's saying, why does this surprise you? You guys know about Jesus. You know all the miraculous stuff that Jesus was doing. And then he asked this question. Why are you looking at us as if we're the ones who did this miracle? And so he's, he's beginning to get them to think. So he connects with them. Then he gets them to think. And these are very important things for, one, if we're trying to understand the kingdom in our lives and how it moves, and we're trying to share the kingdom with somebody else, is that we must understand that the kingdom moves among the convicted. So when I'm feeling convicted about something, that is a very healthy thing. The kingdom is trying to move in my life. So in discipleship, we're in, very intentional about bringing people to these moments and saying, Look, listen, quit living like Jesus is dead and letting all of these Kairos moments pass you by when the kingdom is trying to break out in your life. Start looking at them and realize that you, you should feel convicted over this. It's not a negative thing. It is a very positive thing because the kingdom is trying to move in your life. It's trying to break out. And too many times we have too many believers who've had the kingdom break out in their lives a couple of times. When they met the Lord, when they got baptized, and maybe when they made a decision. The kingdom needs to break out every day in your life. Like you ought to be looking, whoa, that, that is something right there the Lord is teaching me. Right there the Lord has rescued me. I see the Lord moving in this situation. If you say, man, the, the kingdom's not breaking out in my life like that. It's because you are desensitized to the movement of the kingdom. And that's why we're doing this series. I'm trying to get you to see that the kingdom is moving all around you. You just need to recognize it. And that's why Jesus always said, you, you, you need eyes to see and ears to hear. He's talking about spiritual things. And so... Um, he goes from, why does this surprise you? Why do you look at us? And he says something, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing, and he says, the way, the way back God of our fathers has glorified Jesus. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to the covenant that went all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish people. And he's saying that we were promised that a Messiah was going to come. It was Jesus, okay, so, so the kingdom is starting to move. And, 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 and this man, he says, that you see that was healed, just like you know Jesus healed people when he was here, and you know all the miraculous stuff surrounded by Jesus. What we're saying to you is this man was healed by that same Jesus. Okay? Here's the second thing, second observation. Conviction must run its course. This is why I say we've become too soft. We want to rescue people in that moment instead of letting them own it and realize there, there is a reason that they're feeling that shame and that guilt. And so conviction needs to run its course. What did he say? Well, notice what he says. You handed over the innocent one. You disowned holiness. You killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead, but you killed him. And what is he saying? I'm a witness of this. I knew Jesus before he was crucified. I know that Jesus was crucified, and I've been hanging out with Jesus, and he is alive today. That's what he's saying to them, okay? And he's, so as he takes them through this process, he's saying, Jesus is alive, and this crippled man was healed by the living Christ. 
Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? You are. Now, now these literally are the people when they were out in the crowd and Pilate said, who, who should I release for you? I find no fault in this man. Shall I release Barabbas or shall I release Jesus? Jesus! Or no, Barabbas. Right. Like, release Barabbas. They said, well, what shall I do with him? Crucify, crucify, crucify. You say, oh, how could they have done it? The truth of the matter is, is it's, it's highly likely that we would have been among that crowd. Okay? We just got caught up in the moment. And, and that's what he's saying to them. You are responsible for this. So even when we look and we ask ourselves our, the question of ourselves today, who's responsible for the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus? You are. I am. If you've ever committed a sin, you are responsible for the death of Jesus because that's what he died for. Okay, so, so people have to understand that, and conviction has to run its course in that. And so once conviction has run its course, this is very important. There is a time to shift to the good news. But don't shift to the good news too soon. A person needs to understand they're guilty before God. That's not what we teach. We teach a, uh, that's not what the world believes, I should say. It's what we teach. But the world has believed, uh, believes and buys into this. Listen to the news. It's universalism. Everybody is good. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody loves God. No, they don't. No, they don't. If Jesus is, in fact, who he said he is, if he is who he believed he was, if he is who the apostles believed he was, and he did all that he did, everybody doesn't know God. And so we have to understand that, that we can't just buy into that philosophy and be soft with it. Conviction needs to run its course. Now, Peter shifts at this point and he says, now, brothers, in verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance. So he's saying he's beginning to provide some hope for them. And so he's shifting from the bad news to the good news. Okay. And so I think that's what I'm taking away from this passage of Scripture more than anything is people need to, like, they need to wrap their minds around the bad news. They're guilty before God, okay? Like, you, you, if you've never done that as a, as a young person, I don't care if you're nine years old, and, 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 and you have the ability to cognitive, cognitively think and understand, you are responsible for the death of Jesus. I don't care if you're 60 years old. Like, you are responsible for the death of Jesus. You are a sinner. Like, we got to get that. Like, we, we can't get any movement in our lives if we don't understand that. And so he says, you acted in, forgive, or in ignorance, and he says, but God was fulfilling what he foretold. So what is he doing? He's saying that all through the Old Testament, God has all of this history established, and everything he foretold through the prophets about a Messiah coming, he has arrived. And so now he's shifting to good news, and he says, even though you're responsible for it, that, and, and as guilty as you feel for that, it's good news because God is working in the midst of it. I'm reminded of Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery, and they were scared to death when they discovered that now Joseph in the Old Testament was elevated to second in command. He was basically running Egypt, and his brothers realized it was him as they were bowing before him. They were terrified. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's, that's the way this thing works, is God is working in the mix of it. And so that, what does he say? Repent, return, refresh. And what will God do? He will send Christ to heal your crippled soul. That's what he's trying to tell the people. You're crippled spiritually. 
So why am I, like, why am I taking time to say, man, you got to get this? It's because I'm not sure that we all have it. I'm not sure we all understand that we are crippled spiritually. You, like, there's nothing you can do about it. And people have to carry you around just like they carry this man around and set you down to beg before God. You are a crippled person spiritually before God. We're sinners. And so that's what Peter is saying. He says, but if you repent, return, and refresh, repent, return to God, then times of refreshing will come. And so here's, here's what I, the next observation. If you are crippled, you cannot walk in truth. You cannot walk. Now, what do I mean? Do I mean that you can't be an honest person? No, you can be an honest person. Do, do I mean that you can't do any good deeds? Of course you can do good deeds. We know there are people, I know people all around me that are great parents. Um, they're extremely responsible. They're compassionate. They give. Somebody goes, uh, you, you know, gets into a, a, an accident. They lose a loved one. And, and these people will love on them. And they're doing all of this good stuff. But they're not walking in truth. What does it mean to walk in truth? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You cannot walk in Jesus if you are crippled. That's, that's the message that Peter is giving us. Okay, so anyone, he says, look at uh, verse, um, verse 23. Anyone, anyone, who? Anyone who does not listen to him, who is the him? Jesus, will be completely cut off from among his people. Now, what, what is Peter saying here? In the Old Testament, when they didn't listen to the prophet, do you remember what happened? They went into captivity. They went into Babylonian captivity. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord is saying to you. Oh, come on, man. And they ignored what God was saying through the voice of the prophet. And so they ended up going into captivity. And it cost a lot of people lives. So in the Old Testament, when they didn't listen to um, the prophet, it meant the destruction and captivity of the city. In the New Testament, Jesus is the prophet. And when you don't listen to Jesus, it means the destruction and, um, and captivity of your soul. Like you don't know, like you, you have no freedom in your life. And so Peter's trying to show them that. This is the promised land versus the promised life. And so, the, so as we look at this, what did Jesus say in John chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice and they listen. And so Peter's saying anybody who doesn't listen to Jesus is completely cut off from their people. And so we want to be the kind of people that are like, speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. Here's the fourth and final observation before we get to the big idea. The first step to comprehending Jesus is to see yourself as crippled. Like, have you honestly done that? Have you honestly taken an inventory of your life and gone, I'm helpless. I am a crippled before the Lord of the universe. Only those who see themselves as sinners will recognize a need for a Savior. Okay? So there's the only way. It's the only way that it works. And so look, look at Matthew chapter uh, 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. What does Jesus say? So he's talking to these religious guys. And he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. He said, I will not, he answered. But later 
He changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did what his father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. What is he saying? He said, we can look at the tax collector and the prostitute's lifestyle, and we can see you guys would say they are evil and wicked people. And, and you're right, they were doing evil and wicked deeds, but they changed their mind and recognized that God was in the mix, that I was in the midst of what was going on. But you guys think you got it all figured out, and, but you're not changing your mind. And so you're saying that you're going and you're not going. And so he links it all to repentance. And here's the thing. Like, like I want you to get this. Okay, somebody, somebody is, needs to be receiving this right now. You cannot repent of your sin until you're sorry for it. Amen. Like you can't do it. You, you can't change your mind about it until you've come to your life, a point in your life that you are legitimately, like legitimately broken and sorry. That's why so many people weep when they meet Jesus, because they come to a realization that they are sinners before the Lord, and then they are repenting and they are experiencing what comes from it. What does it come? It says, if you do this, it says in um, verse 19, Repent then and turn to God, so what? That your sins may be wiped out. This is a pretty cool word. It's, um, it's the word exalipto, and it means to wipe away completely, gone beyond possibility of review or recall. And so when you come to that place that you realize and recognize that you are a sinner, and you are broken, and you make confession, and you repent, you change your mind about the way you've been thinking, and you realize that your status before the Lord, then you, you confess, and it is wiped away. And so you, and I'm not saying you have to weep, but I have encountered a lot of people when they come to that point in their lives, they are broken, and they, like, they just weep. Like I'm reminded of some of you in this room that I've talked to you about sin. I've taken you through this very process like, and watched you as you come to the realization and just weep. Just like no words to express. Why? Because you're weeping before Lord, the Lord because you know you're guilty. And the beauty of that is that when we come to that place, man, when we come to that place, then the Lord just wipes it away. And it's impossible to review it. And so the only reason to recall it is to rejoice over what has been forgotten. Amen? Yeah. Like, like, like you can start to look at that and go, I don't have any sin. Because why? Because I have confessed before the Lord that I'm crippled and I can't walk. And so what has he done? He's wiped it away. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And so now when that happens in my life, guess what happens? There's such a shift in me that I hate sin. Before, I loved sin. Like before, I had no shame over sin. 
Let me get wasted. Let me do anything I want in my life. Let me live physically however I want. It doesn't matter because I have no shame because I don't realize I'm crippled. But once I realize I'm crippled and I confess and it is wiped away, then I have a hatred for it because I know what it caused to Jesus, whom I love, who's taken mine away. So now I'm not just like following along and being pulled into sin. And so now I can walk in truth. You can't walk in truth until you come to a place where you're not crippled anymore. And the only way to not be crippled spiritually is for Jesus to do a work in your life and heal heal you and say, rise and walk. And that's why he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so that's good news. Now here's the big idea. Repentance is the key that unlocks everything. Now, I want you to scratch out everything, and and I want you to write, repentance is the key that unlocks Jesus. What is Jesus? He is the door. (laughs) I am the door. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. Repentance unlocks Jesus in my life so that I can walk in truth. And so you've got you to gotta look at your. So when we talk about all of this stuff, born again, man, you're, has a person been born again? What is a born again person? A born again person is a person who's come to a realization that they are crippled and they have repented of their sins and Jesus has been unlocked in their life and they've been set free and they're not li- living in captivity like they used to. They're not bond slaves of the enemy. They've been set free by Christ who was crucified in order to allow a well of, of living water to spring up from within us. So we look at this, and he uses these terms. Repent, return to God, and refresh, that times of refreshing may come. Okay, so he's linking this to, one, there's there's teaching here, and and I I don't want to just gloss over it, but there's teaching here that is pointing forward to the second coming of Christ, okay? That when, when, when enough cripples have been healed of their spiritual disease, The king is coming back, okay? That's one. But the second thing is there is a time of refreshing that happens in our lives immediately. Now, I think this is pretty cool because the the word time here is the word you often hear me talk about, the word kairos. It is a moment in time where the kingdom is breaking out. And so the word refreshing means cooling. And so this is a kairos of cooling every time that you repent of a sin that God shows you you're being disobedient to him, man. So we, we, we got to be people who are sensitive to sin and starting to look at it and recognize it in our lives and rejoice in the fact that we have discovered a place where we're not being obedient to Jesus so that we could step into that, repent, return, so that refreshment will come. And, and so here's the deal. Let me just lean back real hard on those of you who are walking in discipleship right now. You're terrified about whether or not you can actually make a disciple yourself. And the reason you're terrified is because there's, you haven't figured out right yet the cycle of repent, return, refresh. Repent, return, refresh. I repented of things in my life this week. I returned and I was refreshed. So guess what? I make disciples. Why? Because I'm always walking in refreshment. And I'm not terrified about making disciples because I am a disciple. 
Because refreshment, the kairos of cooling is just happening in my life. And so you're, you're getting the cart before the horse looking way down the road going, oh man, can I make disciples? If you are a disciple, you just will make disciples. As we walk in discipleship, we're just showing you a language to do it with, to be more intentional about it. Why are we doing that? Why do we want you to make disciples? So that times of refreshing will show up in your life more. Because as you're leading people, the kingdom will break out in your life more than it ever has in your life. That's one of the greatest things about being in ministry is I have the responsibility of leading you and taking you through Kairos moments. Then the kingdom is just breaking out in my life. And so what I'm trying to do is not professionalize the mission of the church, which Jesus said is to go and make disciples of all nations. Why does he want us all making disciples? So that times of refreshing will remain on our lives. And it's how the kingdom moves as we look at our pain, invite Jesus into it, and allow him to do his work. The kingdom breaks out. And so like, man, don't miss the Kairos of cooling that wants to break out in your lives. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.